If you've ever had questions about what my job is like as a dermatology PA, this episode is for you. This is a part one of two, and two will be coming next month, but diving in, here we go. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club Podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. I want to thank My PA Resource and PA School Prep for sponsoring the Pre-PA Club podcast. So My PA Resource is a personal statement editing service that edits only PA school essays, only edited by PAs, and most of us have admissions experience. So I am one of the editors. Definitely check them out if you need help with your content, grammar, flow, making sure that you are on track for turning in your application. And you can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on any of their service options. PA School Prep is an online course that focuses on the anatomy, physiology, and med terms that you'll need for PA school to make sure you feel confident going into that first semester and that you are able to handle what PA school throws at you. So check that out at paschoolprep.com and also use the code FUTUREPA for a discount there. All right, guys, welcome. Um, I'm so excited to have you listening. So today's podcast is an event, I guess you could say, that I did a couple months ago with Archana. She's one of our pre-PA coaches who does mock interviews, but she lives in Hawaii, which is so cool. And if you ever do a mock interview with her, the background is beautiful. Um, well, the one that she talked to me on was, um, and it was literally her, like the beach of Hawaii is her backyard and her view out her window. So anyway, um, she is awesome, but she has been holding virtual shadowing events for the past few months. Um, and so she asked me to come on and talk about my job as a dermatology PA. So that's what I did. Um, and I recorded the audio for you guys so you could hear that. Um, and this session, I would say it's mostly a Q&A type session. Um, I talk a little bit of just about my job and what it looks like, um, and then a lot of question and answers. So I think it should be very helpful to anyone who's interested in dermatology and in just being a PA and what that's like. So this was very, ended up being like an hour and a half or two hours, and we had some technical difficulties. It was the only time that my power has ever gone out, and so um, it might be a little choppy in places because we had to make a quick switch to a different platform and all this stuff, but I hope it's helpful to you to just hear more about that. So, and you know, I'm always sharing on Instagram at the PA platform about my job as a Derm PA. I've started sharing a lot on TikTok. My name there's at Physician Assistant. Um, and so those are places you can find me other than this podcast, as well as on the PA platform.com. And that's, you know, all of our pre-PA information. But if you've made it this far listening and haven't given up on me yet, um, I wanted to let you guys know about an event that is coming up that I am doing personally. I'm not technically calling it virtual shadowing. Let me go ahead and give my disclaimer about this. Um, so right now there's a lot of these virtual shadowing sessions happening and I've watched a few, I've been in a few and to be honest, they're very similar to what we do on the podcast where we interview a PA and hear about what they do. Um, and so you can't, I don't know if that technically really counts as shadowing. You're not seeing that patient interaction with the PA and what that looks like on a daily basis. 
Um, and so I've talked to some schools. Some schools are considering virtual shadowing as shadowing hours. Some schools are not. That's something that you would definitely need to check on. Um, so for my event, I'm calling it a day in the life. We're going to start with, again, I'll be talking about being a darn PA, but I'm going to do it a little different. I'll explain that. Um, there will not be a certificate or anything, but I would love for you to join me. It's going to be this Thursday, August 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, there will be a replay sent out if you aren't able to make it live, but I will, um, I'll put that link in the description and then I'll be posting it on social media, of course, as well. So make sure you kind of check into that if that's something you're interested in watching. I'll be putting a question box up on Instagram for you to go ahead and send me your questions. You'll be able to ask questions during the session. Um, and then to make it a little bit different than this session, what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to bring my schedule from next week from the patients I see on Monday and Tuesday. And we're going to talk through kind of what I actually did and saw every single with every single patient. Um, obviously being HIPAA compliant, not talking about specific patient things, but just general, you know, conditions I see and what that's like. So, um, I think it should be fun. It should be, you know, a great time for us to all connect and yeah. So I hope to see you Thursday, but for now you can enjoy this, um, talk from me and Arjuna. Now, if you are still, like, I just want to throw this out there. If you are in the waiting period and you have not heard back from schools, I know it's frustrating. You're probably seeing a lot of people who are getting interviews, getting acceptances. Just know that it is not too late. It is still early in the cycle. And I feel like I have to say this every year, but like, I just want to make sure you know that um, there are schools that are not interviewing yet and have not contacted anyone yet. And so don't be stressed out if you feel like, you haven't heard anything, just keep on going, keep working on your application, um, and then just hang in there. And so we have all kinds of resources on the PA platform. Um, you know, you can go ahead and start your interview prep. We have the free interview worksheet downloads. If you go to paplatform.com, sorry, thepaplatform.com slash downloads. Um, we also have, you know, the PA school interview guide, the book, and Amazon's actually been running that on special a good bit lately. So you can check on that. Um, and then whenever you do get an interview invite, we're going to be so excited for you and we can help you out with a mock interview if you need one. So, all right, let's get into my discussion with Archana. And um, like I said, this is part one. So be on the lookout for part two coming next month. I've got a few interviews coming up after this um, that you'll get in the next few weeks. And then we'll do part two of this in September. All right. Thanks for listening guys. And if you haven't left a review yet, I would love a review on iTunes. Let me know what you think about the podcast and I'm here for you guys. I did enjoy the majority of my rotations. Um, and so surgery was my favorite rotation and that is parallel to dermatology a little bit just because, I mean, you're not in an OR in derm, but I'm still doing procedures a lot. And, um, so then I ended up getting my job as a dermatology PA right out of school and sticking with it. Um, as far as kind of like what a day in the life looks like as a dermatology PA, um, right now when I first started, my schedule was Monday through Thursday. And then after a while I went to adding a half day on Fridays, um, and then now I work right now, two days a week. It was supposed to be two and a half days a week, but with COVID changing things, um, we've kind of backed down on our schedules a little bit, but, um, 
So right now I work Mondays and Tuesdays. I've always had a schedule of basically eight to five. Um, usually my first patient is there at like 8.15. So that gives me time to get to work. And when I walk in the door, always kind of sitting on my desk or my area, there is a folder of pathology. Um, so any procedures I've done from the previous week, whether it was a biopsy or an excision, um, I think it just started pouring rain at my house. Um, but all of that is sitting there in a folder for me to go through and decide if anything needs to be done, what needs to be done with it, um, and schedule it. I have a dedicated medical assistant who works with me. Is anyone a med medical assistant in dermatology or shadowed in derm? Like, y'all let me know if you have, because um, I think it gives you definitely great experience and an interesting perspective. But um, so we work together. I kind of pass that along to her to set up. And then um, also in there might be like lab results. So if I did a culture on anything, any infections, if I um, ran blood work for either Accutane, which is a medicine we give for acne, or um, what else we earn lots for hair loss, um, people on biologics will get labs done. Um, all that will be in there for me to go through. And so then I start seeing patients. Um, derm is very, very fast. And I think that's something that people don't realize when they say they want to go into derm is to work in this field, you've got to be able to make decisions very, very quickly and move, like move very fast. Um, being in my new practice, I actually kind of slowed down a little bit because at my first job, I had gotten to the point where I'd built up a really great patient base and I was seeing around 30 to 35 patients a day. In my job now, I'm up to about 20 to 25 and then with COVID, that made that less and we're, we're back up to that number now. And so as I build up that patient population and continue that, I expect it to get back to that kind of 30 to 35 number. Um, and that can be a mix of all ages. We see babies, and kids um and then all the way up to you know elderly people i've had patients who are over 100 which is really cool um and then we see all different stuff so my appointment times are at my old office they were 15 minutes at this office they're 10 minutes um and depending on kind of what it is if it's like a new patient it may be a longer appointment um just depending but I kind of get to control how my schedule is set up. So, like, if I want, um, you know, a procedure at a certain time or all cosmetics at a certain time, I can dictate that a little bit with our, our scheduler. Um, and then we, um, so, yeah, so what comes in the door? Um, medical stuff, so that's, like, your acne, eczema, psoriasis, mold checks, skin cancer follow-ups, um, pre-cancer spots, which are called actinic keratoses, any kind of rash, any kind of just funky place. Um, we see hives, uh, what else? Hair loss, nail stuff, toenail stuff, cysts, good old like Dr. Pimple Popper stuff. Um, but all kinds of things coming in. And then we have our surgical or procedural side where I'm taking out cysts, I'm taking out skin cancers, doing biopsies, um, freezing warts, um, extracting milia. Uh, what else do I do? Um, 
all kinds of things. So pretty much anything, anything I feel comfortable with, I can do. Um, and then we have cosmetics. So on the cosmetic side, I'm doing Botox, filler, chemical peels, laser. Um, that's pretty much it. Talking about cosmetic things as well. Um, so I have a pretty good mix of those. I save, I like to have my procedures at the end of either my morning or afternoon to give me time in case those go long. Um, last week, I guess it was last week on Tuesday, I had a surgery that took like way longer than I was expecting. It was a basal cell on the arm, um, but the patient, ooh, I lost power for a second. Are y'all there? My, I guess my so job. You're talking about your you're talking about your basal cell. Oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Tuesday. <laughs> um, so for anyone new here, I was talking about my job. Um, you may have missed some stuff. But so yeah, I was cutting a basal cell out of this guy's arm. And he was on aspirin and he started bleeding like crazy. Like, and it was like cool, which is, I don't know. So it was cool because I could like actually see the vessel that I kept like kind of nicking. But it was so superficial that to get the skin cancer out, there was, like, no way I could avoid it. So I basically just had to, like, keep tying it off. Um, but anyway, so it, like, took way longer than I was expecting. Um, usually I try to, like, my procedures take, like, 30 minutes or so. And this one took, like, almost an hour. Um, and so that's why I like to schedule them kind of at the end of the morning or the end of the afternoon. Um, I'm like really, really big on schedule and efficiency and like trying to stay on time as much as possible. Um, the other thing with kind of my schedule, how it is, is, um, I, I can choose like if there's something I want to cut out or if I don't. So if I don't feel comfortable, if it's too big or in a bad spot, I can ask if my supervising physician wants to do it. And if she doesn't, then we'll send out to plastics or um, general surgery. But um, some of the questions, so am I able to see patients on my own? I see patients completely on my own. So I have my own schedule, my own clinic. Um, for the most part, the physician is there uh, most of the time, but if she's not, like, I can always contact her. I've had two different um, main physicians that I worked with, and both of them have been awesome, like, really supportive, really great teachers, um, really great at kind of being there when I need them, but also pushing me a little bit, so especially when I was learning to do surgeries, um, the first physician I trained with, you know, she would, I would be like, oh, I don't know if I can sew it or not. And she would kind of be like, yes, you can. Um, there was a, I remember one of ours was like a skin cancer right here. And it was like in the crevice of the clavicle. And she was like, you can do this. Like you can sew it up. Um, and I got to like the end of the suture and she was like, you can do it. You don't need more suture. And so just kind of teaching me with supervision at the time, how to handle different challenges. So the reason I knew how to um, tie off a vessel was because I had seen her do it and she had taught me how to do it. Can you guys hear me? But yeah, so as far as how <laughs> autonomous I am, um, I I don't, like I may be, I don't know, it depends. Like there'll be some weeks that I don't ask for help with my supervising physician at all. And then there are other weeks where I feel, and like I'll joke with her, I'm like, I'm so needy right now. I'm like a needy PA. Because um, it seems like when all the weird stuff comes, it comes at the same time. But like 
my everyone I've worked with and the physician I work with now, like she's really cool in the fact that she like loves the weird stuff too, the same way like I do. But what happens in this kind of specialty setting is I get to see all the new patients and the triages where she's seeing a lot of the skin checks. So if someone has something weird going on, it's gonna come to me. Um, and she's always like, oh, I'm so jealous. Like you get to see all the fun stuff. And so if, if something is weird or different, um, I do try to pull her in, especially like I think in our setting because it's me and um, another PA and the doctor. If something like really weird is coming in that may have to be seen more in follow-up, um, since I'm only there on Mondays and Tuesdays, I also just want other eyes on it so that in case they have to follow up with that patient, they know what they're looking at or what to expect. And and our, we all kind of do that. So if something is coming in that it's like, okay, this is a little different, we're probably gonna have to see you, you know, fairly often, or if you have a flare of something, we're gonna have to, like work together on this I want we all want to be on the same page um but as far as like going in every room with me definitely not um actually on Tuesday when I had that patient that was difficult um we were all supposed to be going to lunch together and everybody else had already left so like I got to lunch really late and they had just ordered food for me um, and my daughter was like, oh, you were still there? I didn't know where you went. I thought you went home. Um, and so it was just funny. But, yeah, we all kind of do our own thing. Um, can you start your own Durham practice, PA practice, and if so, how? That's dependent on the state. Um, in Georgia, you, as a PA, you cannot start or own your own practice as a PA. Um, in other states like Florida and California, um, Erin Jensen with the treatment owns her own like cosmetic practice in California um, and there are a few in Florida um, with that you do still have to have like a supervising physician overseeing things as like a medical director um, but that doesn't again mean that they're necessarily like in the office with you all the time so uh, that's not something that I'm at all interested in um, what are some challenges that you face day to day? Are there patients that give you a hard time by saying they want to see a physician instead? Um, okay, so the second part, sometimes, not often, I, I mean, I can maybe, I've been there since September, and I can maybe think of, like, two patients who didn't want to see me. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they've already seen the doctor before, or um, what I always say is, you know, if somebody has a bad experience with a PA, they're never going to see a PA again. If they have a bad experience with a doctor, they'll go find another doctor. Um, and so it is kind of up to us to make sure that we are doing the best we can and, you know, trying to help patients to understand what PAs do. But, um, yeah, and I don't, I don't really care. I don't get offended. Um, if they want to see me, that's fine. Or they want to give me a chance, that's fine. If they don't, um, if the doctor's there, they're welcome to wait for her, which will probably be a very long wait. But she is great about like making sure she sees anyone who wants to be seen um, or rescheduling to be with her. And, and both of those things have happened. So um, yeah, not a big deal. As far as day-to-day -day challenges, um, no, I mean, I think I, I feel fairly at this point after six years, like confident in my practice, but um, 
I think staying on time, um, somebody commented on the last one I saw, they're like 10 minute appointments, um, which does sound crazy, but you have to think like in Durham, we do get people who come in who are like, I want my whole body checked and I want to talk about skincare regimens and then sometimes I get this rash and my foot itches and so like that's gonna take more than 10 minutes um but then we also have the patient who is literally like what is this spot on my arm and i tell them it's nothing it's benign it's fine and they're like okay bye um and so those things even each other out a good bit um but yeah so one of my challenges you know staying on time trying to keep a positive attitude throughout work there's always going to be kind of complications at work or you know people who don't always get along um or i don't know i don't really get involved in any of that i just go to do my job um you know medicines i think that is challenging trying to figure out where to get the cheapest medicine and what insurance is going to cover what's not going to cover like i feel like we're constantly double checking all of that and then half the time we think we did it right or what they're going to cover and then it changed yesterday and now it's something new and um so that gets a little frustrating but that's in i think probably all of medicine that happens um it's just kind of how the system is um it's very frustrating when a patient can't get a medicine that they really need um because insurance dictates it and that's very frustrating um and then I think the other thing about Derm that people need to realize is there's a lot of things that we take care of and we see that there's no cure for. So, like if somebody comes in with eczema and they want to know, why do I have this now? Can you tell me where I got it from? Or is it ever going away? Um, so a lot of things I can't cure, it's never going away. I can make it better, but I can't make it go away. And then also I can't tell you why you have it. It just for whatever reason your body changed you're not the same as you were even six months ago and so your skin is not the same either and that can be I think frustrating to patients to hear because they want an answer and skin's a little different because you can see it you can see what's happening on your skin versus like blood pressure you don't see that happening or you may not even know it's a problem um, so that's kind of unique to skin um, right now I'm seeing around 20 to 25 patients a day um, I learned I guess you would say I learned my skills and procedures on the job. I, I did a lot on my surgery rotation. That's where I really learned to suture. And my surgery preceptor is the one who actually got me my job in dermatology. And I don't think he would have made that recommendation if he didn't think I was doing a good job. Um, and he actually gave me a, a good bit of freedom. So we did a lot of breast cancer surgery on that rotation. So a lot of times like we would work on one side um, and do what we needed to do and then he would let me close and like finish up and suture um, after like a mastectomy and he would go and start on the other side um so that was pretty cool that i i really did get that kind of first assist experience um and i, I do feel like i i learned a lot of skills on that rotation emergency medicine i got to do some procedures and learn and practice some skills there and then I did my last two electives at my first derm job so I did a lot of training there as well but I will say like when I started um after about six months 
I told my supervising physician, I was like, listen, I really want to be able to step into like a surgical role um, and do more surgeries. I want to feel comfortable with that. And she was pregnant at the time and going out on maternity leave in the fall. So I was like, it would be helpful if I'm able to do some of these surgeries versus when you are out for three or four months, having like a ton to do when you get back. Um, and so for a good six months, we blocked my schedule when she had surgery so that I could be in the surgeries with her um, and really get that hands-on experience to make sure that we both felt comfortable with that. Um, I also learned Botox and filler on the job. They brought in trainers. Um, the company will send trainers out to practice with you and um, we'd have patients come in, usually my mom. Um, she did not necessarily appreciate that as much as she should have, but I was, you know, I remember the very first time I learned filler, I was poking her so many times and the trainer was like, okay, put a needle in, okay, take it out, put the needle in, take it out, put the needle in. And like, I mean, I probably stuck her like a hundred times and she was all bruised and it was bad. I'm a lot better now. Um, but that first, first experience, she was like, I'm not telling anyone to do this. Um, but she, I like to have her as my guinea pig. Um, okay. What do you find challenging or struggled with about derm? So, I mean, coming out of school, I did not get a lot of derm practice at all. So we had two weeks of derm in clinic and then that was it. Um, and so it was a lot of like on the job, on my own learning. And then um, I think at first there've been different things I struggled with. So I struggled with pediatric skin and I would say I still kind of struggle with that. I struggle with skin of color, um, but I feel pretty confident in that now just with what I've kind of taken initiative to learn on my own. Um, and then psoriasis was really hard for me at the beginning too. Um, but again, I feel like I feel comfortable with that now and it's just how much you see things. Um, and then again, taking that time to ask about it and learn about it and research it. Um, and derm conferences are great. Like they, especially the derm PA ones, I mean, they focus on pearls, focus on like really good applicable information. Um, so I went to a bunch of those at the beginning, um, that were really, really helpful. I, okay, do you feel like in order to get into a certain specialty like derm, somebody needs to have derm experience prior to being a derm PA? I don't necessarily think that. Um, I mean, my only experience was shadowing in derm. I don't think I would say that that helped me very much, except for being able to show that I was interested in it. Um, it's more, you know, location, timing. I was able to step into a role of a PA who was leaving. Um... If you're in a bigger city, it's going to be more difficult because that area is more saturated with experienced PAs, um, whereas I'm in like a suburban area, so it's a little bit easier. Um, there's a lot of factors, but the jobs are out there, and you just have to find someone also who's willing to train, whereas, you know, my first job, they were willing to train me and take me on as a new grad, versus my second job, um, the doctor I'm with now, she did not want a new grad. She wanted somebody who was ready to go, who was experienced. Um, so it was very different. When I moved into that job, I, I mean, I think I shadowed her for like a week or like three days. And then we started like filling my schedule with patients versus the six month training that I had at my first job and slowly kind of letting me go. 
Um, and of course she reviews my notes and she, I mean, would kind of write notes if she had any recommendations, but, um, it was kind of cool after, I guess I'd been there a few weeks, a month and started to really see patients. She was like, you're well trained. Like I feel confident and like, she knows the doctor I worked with. So she knew, um, that I had good training. Um, but like seeing it in my notes, she was like, you, you're knowledgeable. I feel comfortable with what you're doing. So if you, and like, you're asking appropriate questions, all that stuff. Um, okay. The transition between PA school and starting work. Um, and were you lost when you first started working? Absolutely. So it was like, and I don't know how you felt, Arjuna. Like I, I was exhausted. Like I would go to work and study all day and learn and stuff. And I would come home and I would sit on the couch and study some more and I would fall asleep. Like if I, the second I sat down on the couch, I did not get up. And so I just was so tired. Like my brain was tired and that was, that was like a good six months. And, um, just like learning so much so quickly. Um, and then I, after about six months, I started to feel a little more comfortable and like got into my groove and started to feel confident in my knowledge, um, too. So that was, was more helpful. So All right. same here. It was, yeah. I think the transition between like PA school and work is it's just a weird one because you're so used to being guided and you come out of rotation. So you know that whatever you do, if you screw up, somebody's going to pick up after you. Like you kind of have that safety net and not to say that when you work as a PA, you don't, but you definitely, I mean, you shouldn't work with this assumed safety net as a PA because you are often the only one you're ever going to see. Yeah. I mean, some people like when I was working in my sleep clinic, they didn't even know their supervising position, like my supervising position, because she doesn't see patients in the clinic. She doesn't even live on this island. So like that was one thing that I struggled with when I first started working was learning to transition from being the student to being the provider. Like you have the final say, what you say affects this person's life directly. And it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, but it is what it is. I mean, you're a PA at that point. So yeah. And then, yeah, of course, like coming home and learning to like, I don't even know to how long it was. It's horrible. And then in between patients, you're also studying in between patients because yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, I remember this one thing from Pants Prep Pearls. My school never touched on it. So let me go back and review it, you know? Yes. I'll tell like a really <laughs> embarrassing story. Like my, um, this is so embarrassing. My doctor, like when we were learning, when I was learning, she kept saying things like, when we were in rooms and stuff and she'd come out and say, you know, this could be lichen planus or lichen sclerosis. And I was like, okay, um, those are good things. Like I'll look them up, blah, blah. And it took me a probably a good month before I realized that she wasn't saying like in sclerosis, like L-I-K-E space I-N, but like the word lichen is a darn word. L-I-C-H-E-N. Like, she was describing a disease called lichen planus, and I thought she was just talking about something called planus. And I realized, I, I told her, I was like, I'm so dumb. I'm so sorry. And, but, I mean, it was funny, but it, it wasn't funny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're just, like, coming out of school, you're just kind of dumb, and it's okay as long as you know what, know your limitations, and that's really that's important. Yeah. yeah. And even now, like, I mean, I'm six years out and sometimes I, so when I bring 
my doctor into the room, it's not like I'm bringing her in like, I have no idea. I'm bringing her in like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I think I need to do next. I just want your thoughts on it. Um, and you know, so like even recently, I had a patient um, who had this like weird crusting on the side of her face and a history of skin cancer. And so I had biopsied it once and it came back negative, but it just kept getting bigger. And so, I mean, if something's not going away and keeps going bigger, we automatically think cancer. Um, so I was like, I just need you to look at this. Like, I feel like I've treated appropriately. I don't know what's going on. Um, I don't want to keep cutting on her unnecessarily. So she came in and looked at it and she was like, no, I think it's cancer too, but like we need to do another biopsy. Um, but I was like, I had this other thought that I've seen one time. It's called erosive pustular dermatosis. Do you think it could be that? And she was like, I don't think so, but like maybe. Um, and so we biopsy and that's actually what it came back as. And so like that felt really good to me that I <laughs> identified something that is fairly rare and maybe see it once a year, um, if that. And so like we like we just it's better to have conversations about things um and I just would always rather her look at it, and she would too and she tells me that. And, and my supervising physician is also really cool because she'll say like <laughs> I don't expect you to make the same kind of decisions I would make like she is maybe sometimes willing to take more risk or like treat something without biopsying it because she has more experience and she can do that but she doesn't expect me to do that um she expects me to use my judgment yeah and do and what that's i think is best like recognizing that like we're not we're not on the same level you know the training does differ um and you know i think like i don't know do you like have conversations with your husband when you come home like about treatment plans like i do too and yours is a your husband's a hospitalist right right and that's what i was gonna say like we probably yeah. have a different view because i think there are pas out there who are like oh it's the same as med school just quicker and it's not it's not it's not um it's, it's yeah. different training it's a different job yes we do a lot of the same things but it's different it is it's different um but yeah, I have to agree, like knowing your limitations is huge because you don't want to be like a rogue PA, especially when you first start, like you don't want to be that PA, you know, and, and you'll meet PAs who are, you know, mm -hmm. and they're brilliant and they're great at what they do. But it, a lot of that comes with co like practice. Like I don't have the full confidence yet um, that I feel like, you know, when I'm six years in like Savannah, like that confidence builds, I'm two years in, you know, and so there's a lot as far as confidence that I just don't have, but you have to know your limitations. Like I'm not afraid to call my supervising physician ever, you know, and some specialties just with like doing, you know, working in different specialties, like sleep medicine. I never call my supervising physician. Like when I say never, I mean, I mean like once every six months, maybe like never, you know, I mean, it's, it's cut and dry. It's straightforward. Um, you see the same, like four types of patients, but like urgent care, yeah, I mean, I, you want to make sure you don't miss something. And mm -hmm. I've, like, shared my stories with you guys before. Um, but, yeah, you just want to make sure you don't miss anything. So, And they appreciate that, too, because their license is also on the line when you're practicing under them. So yeah. they do appreciate it, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Okay, I'm going to keep going through the chat. Okay. Uh, oh, how do you handle patients that speak a different language? Um, I'm in Georgia. Thankfully, my supervising physician is fluent in Spanish, so she takes all the Spanish patients, which I am so appreciative of because my Spanish is extremely rusty. 
Um, <laughs> but if it's someone else, like, so I've, I've had a few patients who speak languages other than Spanish. We just do the best we can. Um, a lot of our patients are good at bringing someone along to kind of translate for them, which is helpful. Um, I've used Google Translate, writing things down, um, making sure they have, you know, handouts to look things up. So the skin, I can see it. So even if I can't explain or they don't understand exactly what I'm saying, I can provide, you know, written information. Usually if they point to what they have, I can figure out what it is and then provide them information to go look up and like write out instructions of what we need to do. And then they may have someone at home who can translate or they can go use a, a translator app or something to look it up. Um, do I think I'll only work in Durham? I don't know. I like Durham. Um, I, I don't plan on changing it. Someone said, the next question is if you were to change your field of specialty tomorrow, what would it be and why? Um, I think I would still try to do something like surgical or procedural. I love the OR and I would not mind getting back in the OR. Um, but a lot of times the schedule that comes with that is not favorable and I have a two-year-old and so I do like to be home and able to see her. Um, and so, yeah, I think I would change it. It was nice, you know, the ability to change specialties when my husband was applying for residency because we maybe would have had to move and if we did, I really wasn't worried about it. I knew I could find a job somewhere else even if it wasn't Durham. So. Um, that was kind of a, a nice little perk. Um, do you do surgical things often? Yes. Like a lot. Um, I just, I, yeah, I do them pretty much every day. Do I ever wish I went to medical school instead? Uh, not medical school. Um, I can't say I've ever wished I went to medical school, but there have been a couple times where I wish I had the residency experience. Um, like I remember a few cases where something weird came in, I went and got the doc, and she came in, and she was like, oh my gosh, I saw this one time during residency. And we go, oh my gosh, I wish I had residency. But, like, when I really think about it and think about kind of the years out and everything I guess I kind of considered like those first few years as a residency um where I was definitely and even now like still learning and still seeing new things um so it's kind of more of a self-driven thing but um yeah that was really that's really the main thing but as far as like being a doctor I I really don't wish that especially now that I have chosen to have a more flexible schedule and be part-time I think um even making that decision with being a PA and everything that's invested was difficult. But I think if I had gone to like medical school and residency, first of all, I would only have been out for like a year um, versus six years. And um, I think I would feel somewhat guilty and that I needed to, you know, work more and more and more. So luckily I don't feel that way. Has there ever been a time that you felt uncomfortable or the patient felt uncomfortable when the problem is in a personal area and you have to take a look? What did you do? Um, yes. I mean, we have to look at everything everywhere. And um, I, I wouldn't say that I feel uncomfortable just because I'm so used to it. And sometimes I actually have to remember like, oh, this patient, you know, probably feels uncomfortable um, because I am used to looking at different stuff and like the naked people like all day long. 
Um, and so we give them a gown. We try to make them as comfortable as possible. Um, but ultimately, like I explained to the patient, I can't, if it, if it's on your skin, like I can't tell you what's going on if I can't see it. Cause they'll want to say, well, there's, there's bumps and it's itchy and it's red. I'm like, okay, well, like I really need to see it. There's a lot of things that have bumps and are itchy and red. Um, and so like if they, you know, refuse or don't want me to look, that's fine. But I can't make a diagnosis on something I can't see. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty used to having to look everywhere. Um, that's a good question. Um, have you experienced any burnout, whether in PA school or practicing now? How do you stay positive and motivated? Um, this is something actually me and one of my good friends who is in my class, who's a PA, we we're talking about last year because she went to AAPA with me and it was kind of a hot topic there. Um, it was also right before I kind of made the switch to part time. Um, and we both at that time, which was like last May, felt like we were experiencing some burnout. Um, but burnout, I feel like, can encompass a lot of different things. Um, and it's not always necessarily the job itself. Sometimes it can be more of a job setting. Um, and I think in any job, you're going to have frustrations and stuff. But ultimately, like if you're not happy or not feeling valued in a position, it may be time to leave. Um, I really loved my first job. I loved the doctor I worked with. Um, my MA was my best friend and it was great. Um, but over time I started to feel some of that way, like, um, just not, not as connected, not as, as heard when issues came up. Um, and part of that came from like growth of the practice too. And so that, led to me kind of feeling more stress and more um, overwhelm and frustration. Um, and also my medical assistant at the time, if you follow me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about her, Taylor. Um, she got into PA school and so she was leaving and she was like part of what made me love my job because we had so much fun together. Um, and I was scared to leave because I did like it so much and I wasn't sure if I could find another job. Um, but when I decided to go part-time, they weren't able to accommodate that schedule for me. Um, and so I did have to make the decision, you know, my family or this job, knowing that I may not be able to stay in Durham. Um, and ultimately I chose my family, but it was, it was pretty cool because I turned in my resignation on a Thursday and by Friday at 1 p.m. I had a new job at this new office where they are awesome. They, the doctor we met, we interviewed and she said, you know, I, you have a great reputation in town and we would love to have you. You make your schedule, you tell us when you wanna work, um, which was like a godsend, like exactly what I was looking for um, and really, really, really cool. So. I goes to show you that like having experience is very valuable as a PA um, and like Archana said like you don't want to be that rogue PA with a terrible reputation like we all like you probably have people in your mind I have people in my mind like you don't want to be that person yeah. well, there are, and, and every specialty like just with like your case Savannah you know every specialty has a niche so if you've like created this this 
experience with yourself and your pa- your patients speak volumes. Like those are your biggest advocates or your patients, right? Who have had a good experience with you. And if you if you're able to share that, I mean, word gets around. Like Savannah, you know, this new office, new of Savannah. I mean, how does that happen when you're at it? This is a competing office, right? Um, yeah. So how does that happen? It happens from from doing what you do and, and doing your best at it. Um, and the burnout thing, yes, I second um, you on that, Savannah, is that it is like for me, um, as a lot of you guys know from previous sessions, like me leaving my sleep center job was and it's not even leaving. Like I shouldn't even say that I haven't fully left yet. I'm having a hard time with it, uh, but I am. There is going to be an end date. I don't know when, but it's happening. Um, but it's burnout. It really is. It's, it's a lack of appreciation. You know, um, it wasn't always like this. You know, I think another thing is to be careful is I, I've, I've mentioned this before. You guys have to, you have to know your value as a PA, right? Like just because you're not a physician, you're not worth less than them. Like you're more affordable, but that doesn't make you worth less. If that makes sense. Like you're just as valuable to a practice they're going to make more money if they have you as opposed to a physician that's doing the same thing as you. I mean, there's a lot that you bring to the table um, and you have to know your worth. And, and with, for me, I, I think they knew my worth before and, you know, in the beginning. And I think over time you get comfortable and you forget that this person really is doing everything. And without me, there is no provider on Oahu for this place, you know, for this practice. And so you have to know when when it's time and it was time when I would come home angry every day or like right. come home crying every day like it's time and it's it's not a high stress specialty that's the biggest thing you have to think about like am I working in like you know I'm not doing trauma I'm not doing ER I'm not doing oncology like I'm not doing these big like emotionally taxing things you know on a day-to-day and so why am I stressed over sleep medicine you know there's yeah. really no emergency so that's when I recognized it. And clearly I'm having a hard time saying no, but it's going to happen. So <laughs> well, I, I, re- I wanted to leave or do something different for a year. It took me a whole year to yeah, it decide. Took a long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I like, I'm completely with you there. I mean, you feel, so this is what I learned. You feel, um, what's the word? Like dedicated to a place, I think. Mm-hmm. Like you feel... Yeah, like you feel dedicated to your patients, to the place, mm-hmm. to everything. Um, and I guess kind of like indebted, but that doesn't mean they necessarily feel that way about you. So, um, and, I, and I learned that, you know, I thought, you know, I'm irreplaceable, but I was very replaceable in a matter of two weeks. And so, like, that is just, I, I just don't think you necessarily should stay somewhere that, um, that you feel that way because and and I was like you like coming home very frustrated all the time um and it was like it clicked for me that this was like a really great decision when a couple months in my husband was like you don't complain anymore like even if you're like working with a different medical assistant like I was like oh my medical assistant's out he's like but but you're not complaining like you're not upset about it I'm like yeah <laughs> it's different um and so you know just yeah when other people notice that to me is like a big deal um because I'm all about like having fun at work like I don't think work should be a stressful thing um yeah <laughs> you, have to love you do you know you have to love the environment you're putting yourself in every day you're spending most of your day is spent in that environment yeah. so if it gets I mean mine became toxic like to to say the least you know um 
it's hard. I mean, it's really hard. It um, I will say um, for you guys who don't know much about telemedicine, telemedicine also helps with this. Like I'm doing what I love right now. And that's probably why it's harder to leave because I am doing it from home. So I'm out of that physical environment. And I think mentally it's made a big difference. It has. Um, I'm still seeing my patients still doing something I love. Um, but with urgent care, now it's just getting too busy. You know, now life is just getting too busy. So. Yeah. Too much going on. 